Hello and welcome to another episode of The Social Sanctuary. Today I'm talking to Will Chalk, multimedia journalist for the Newsbeat team at the BBC. Will produces news and features for Radio 1 and started his journey in student radio and worked his way up to Radio 1. Will, it's great to have you on the show today. Welcome to The Social Sanctuary. Could you tell the listeners a little bit more about what your job involves? Yeah, so I'm a, yeah, like you say, a multimedia reporter. I present the shows on the radio, so I host Newsbeat's 15-minute programmes, I read bulletins, um, I put together stories, um, but I also make videos for the BBC News website or for the iPlayer or for um, YouTube or what have you, um, and I also write articles as well. So it's kind of, it's quite a mixed bag. I often, I make quite a few documentaries as well, kind of longer form ones which go up on the iPlayer. So yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, my kind of, my specialism unofficially is, is kind of music and entertainment and stuff like that because that's what I'm interested in, in my real life. Amazing. So you get to cover the news from all angles, really. You've interviewed lots of amazing people as well. So one interview you did recently was with the Simpsons creator, Matt Groening. So did you see yourself as always wanting to get into broadcast journalism or did you originally see yourself as just a radio presenter? Yeah, I just wanted. I I always saw journalism as a way of just being able to talk on the radio. Um, you kind of you get lots of different people. I think at Newsbeat, some people are um, desperate to climb the journalism ladder and work at the uh, the news at ten or the kind of the big what are seen as I guess the grown up news <laughs> services. Whereas I I just like big on the radio. So all my interest in stories is is usually more from a kind of how can I make this sound good what can I do with this kind of in terms of the audio rather than I yeah I mean you know I'm interested in the world like everyone is but I was never like a proper serious journalist I mean I love music and that's why most of my stuff I do is is uh, focused around music because that's what I I am I'm really passionate about so what was it about wanting to work at Radio 1 versus other stations? Was there anyone who really influenced you and, and made you want to give radio a try? Well, yeah, I grew up listening to it. It's, it's, I often have to uh, pinch myself if I'm reading the news on Scott Mills's show. Because I grew up listening to that show. Like, it's, Yeah. Listen to the podcast when I was a teenager. and that. So, I mean, I... If anything, when I got into radio, I was really naive about how the whole industry worked. I kind of just assumed I, I only really knew about Radio 1 um, and Radio 4 because that's what my parents listened to. I remember getting told off by someone because I didn't know what LBC was when I was on my journalism course. Those were the stations I listened to and the stations I encountered. I mean, you know, I was aware of Capital and stuff like that. But um, I, yeah, I always wanted to work there. So, yeah, it's been great to, to get there. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, I've been used to hearing you read the news for a, a few years because I, I listen to Radio 1 all the time too. So, yeah, like you said, it's, um, yeah, when you just listen to that one station, you don't always think about everything else that, that's out there. Um, You did work at, at, at Capital for a short time, did you? Yeah, I did a bit at Capital, which was also hard. 
Um, they were run from the same office in Leeds, and probably still are actually. And then I were at a place called the Lynx FM Group, which is now defunct. It's been bought out by Bauer. So yeah, that's kind of that was my first proper full time job. I was just freelancing at Capital. And you started off in in student radio, so you had lots of success there with with your show, when you won a student radio award. Um, do you have any favourite moments from? from doing your time on student radio? I mean, all of it. I often wish I could go back to doing student radio. It was so fun. There were so few rules. You could get away with just completely stupid stuff. I've, we did a we did a 40-hour-long radio show once to raise money for Macmillan Campton Report, so we were on air continuously for 40 hours. And then I was thinking about this the other day, because when it finished, I didn't go to bed, we went to the pub, um, which screams student radio, doesn't it, after you've been awake for 40 hours. It was so refreshing to, there was no gatekeeper other than yourself. So you'd have an idea and you'd do it. We used to do a a feature where the guy I did my show with, a guy called Charles, used to bake me disgusting pies and I had to guess what ingredients he put in them. And it's just like, that's never getting past the gatekeeper. That's a rubbish idea. But we did it for like six months because we thought of it and we thought it was funny. Yeah, I really missed that in a way because it's annoying when people tell you that you're not funny and uh, you can't do that <laughs> idea on the radio because it's stupid. <laughs> yeah, I thought the um, the lolophon was long, but yeah, not as, as long as 40 hours uh, straight and then a visit to the pub afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> How did you um, move from, from doing student radio to local radio and then working your way up to, to Radio 1? I did student radio when I was doing my undergrad degree at York and then I moved to Sheffield to do a postgrad in broadcast journalism, which again, I only found myself on. I was a uh, uh, Rachel Venables, who's now the um, breakfast reporter for LBC and an incredibly good journalist, um, and in many ways, everything I'm not, but very studious. And she always knew she wanted to work in the news, and she loves the news media and has got a huge passion for it. Um, and I remember sitting in URY, University Radio York, with her um, and was like, What are you doing next year? And she was like, Oh, I've applied to go on this journalism master's course at Sheffield. And I was like, Huh. Oh can I do that? And she was like, I guess you can probably apply. Um, So I did. And then I got on the course um, with her so she couldn't escape me. And yeah, then we, I did that for a year um, and then just started freelancing from there um, at Global and then worked at Tracks for a bit. But I was always emailing uh, Radio One and then I had a friend, another friend of mine uh, who was on my journalism course, a guy called Harry Horton, who's now a political reporter for ITV. He worked at Channel 4 and someone went from Channel 4 to Newsbeat. So I had like an in. I, I Instead of just emailing and being like, I'm a random person, please give me a job. I was like, hi, I'm Harry's friend. You can't ignore me now because it will look bad. <laughs> um, yeah. So I emailed Harry's uh, former colleague at Channel 4 loads and loads and loads every week or so just kept on emailing eventually got some freelance shifts and then i've never left from the day i started for i freelanced full-time turned into a a rolling contract and then it turned into a full-time job so i literally got my foot in the door and then never left brilliant and yeah they say with with radio it's it's just often about knowing someone who can who can get you in so 
Yeah, I mean, I've always had a, a huge passion for radio myself, but yeah, my confidence got knocked at school and then I turned my focus elsewhere. But yeah, last year I was lucky enough to share my story as part of the the minute of me on, on Radio 1, which was amazing. But yeah, when I started to regain some confidence, I thought I'd have a go at the Who game with Scott and Chris. So, But I was in Meadowhall at the time. Being from Sheffield, you'll, you'll know how busy it is in there. And it was difficult to find a quiet space. I wasn't expecting to do it while I was at shopping so I found the quietest place that I could think of I went to the suits department in in Marks and Spencer (laughs) and then I was just obviously shouting and thought I was gonna get kicked out by the end but it was good fun though (laughs) so um what are your highlights from your time at Radio 1 so far I think there's so much of it that is a highlight It, it like it doesn't feel like a job a lot of the time and the the clout that the BBC has in being able to get interviewees is always like, I mean, like you mentioned Matt Groening. Uh, I mean, this is just going to sound really name dropping, but these are just like the being able to interview some of the, I mean, we did Zach Braff and Donald Faison from Scrubs about their podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, all of my favorite bands near enough and artists I've I've interviewed now Phoebe Bridges last year was a huge one for me because I love Phoebe Bridges. Um, so being able to like have that that clout, not personally, I mean, like as the BBC behind you when you email and say, "Can I have an interview?" and people actually say yes, is amazing. Went to Russia to make a documentary about what Russian people think of British people, uh, and spent a week kicking around there, which was you know an amazing experience. There's so much of it, and it's. Um, there's also things like uh, I did a, a, a special 15-minute special program on uh, on sex abuse in the music industry, which was something that I felt passionate about. It's, it's the feeling you get when you think, all right, well, that we've just put that out on the radio and that will impact people's days around the country. And that all came from inside my brain box. <laughs> it's, it's all spawned from in there. And you feel quite, um, yeah, you feel quite, emotional about it sometimes because you're like okay well I think especially when you think you know I think if you're talking about issues like sexual abuse in the music industry or something stuff where um more public conversation is needed on certain topics and you're contributing to that you feel like you've done a good thing I mean you know um, we're not doctors or people who actually do good things but um you can contribute to conversations and, and shine spotlights on issues it must be rewarding as well if people reach out to you afterwards and say that a documentary or piece of coverage you've done has, has helped them in some way. There definitely is. Um, there's a few times in my career where that's happened. I did a documentary about being bisexual, which um, a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, a few people got in touch about and said, you know, it really helped them. Or someone tweeted me saying, you know, I spoke to my mum about the fact I'm bisexual for the first time after watching that documentary and you think oh that's you know you've made a tangible difference to someone's life and when I was working at Rother FM I did a, a extended report on the abuse trial and then I spoke to a, a social worker there who said she'd had multiple calls of people who wanted to come forward you know uh, go to the authorities about their experience of abuse after listening to the the radio program we put out so that felt really good as well. 
Yeah, I guess it shows how powerful radio is because you, you never really know who's listening to, to what you put out. Yeah, and that, that um, with great power, as Spider-Man once said, comes great responsibility. That, that kind of, uh, that weighs on you, especially when you make mistakes. Do you find that you ever get starstruck when you're doing interviews that you said you've been able to interview lots of your favourite bands and, and artists? Yeah, I do. Um, I wish I didn't, but I do. It depends who it is, I think. Um, it's often people from from when I was a a teenager, weirdly. Like, it's people who I've, I'm into now, bands or DJs or singers or whatever, um, I don't get starstruck by. But the people, like, I mean, I've not listened to Korn with a K <laughs> in years, but I remember when I interviewed the lead singer of Korn at Download Festival, I was... Uh, I was very, very nervous, which is odd because I, you know, I, I mean, no offence to Corn, but uh, I've slightly moved on in my music listening since I was 10. Um, but for some reason, being uh, in a room with Jonathan Davis, I guess he was such a big deal to me when I was growing up. It feels it feels bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people you've looked up to almost. Have you been used to doing remote interviews anywhere who um with working at Newsbeat, or or have you had to transition from doing interviews in person and going out and reporting to just everything being remote now? Uh, yeah, I, it's almost weird to think how it's gonna it's gonna change back at some point. Do you know what I mean? Like it's this this way of doing everything over Zoom, but the pandemic's also it's become so much easier to get interviews because. The, the assumption is you'll just do it over Zoom and everyone's got time. So um, I think it, that actually opened a lot of doors for us, which I think is uh, has been a good thing. And hopefully that will stay. But yeah, it, it's. Um, I was out on location doing a piece the other day and I was like, my God, this is weird. This is what the job used to be every day. Do you find that you have time to do a lot more now in terms of interviews and things with, with not having to, to travel as much? Uh, yeah, I think so. But it's more just the um, the availability of people that's changed, I think. I mean, pre-pandemic, we're not getting Matt Groening, but we did, so yeah. Over the last year in particular, I've found that I've turned to Newsbeat to consume a lot of news content because it's done in a way that's more informative. Um, and I like that Newsbeat often reports on lots of positive news too, makes everything easier to take in. So how important is it for you to have a good balance between kind of positive and negative stories when you're putting together your bulletins? It, it is, but at the same time, I think the if you're, if you're out just to find positive news, you end up with a lot of crap. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, I think there's got to be a balance between it's got to be interesting and it's got to be um, relevant. So, but I mean, you know, it is out there, but yeah, you've just got to be careful with it. it it's just a sad fact of life, isn't it? That negative stuff is uh, always seems more noteworthy. I mean, it kind of helps because I'm, I'm so into music stuff that obviously music stuff tends to be more, um, more positive. Yeah, definitely. Do you find it hard to take yourself away from from the news being surrounded by it day to day? Yeah, it's tricky. It's um, it's tricky. You often feel like you get very invested 
in stories and spend far too long scrolling through Twitter and stuff like that. And I often find actually that being a journalist, you kind of have to be very, what's the word, objective about how you think about things and how you view things. And I kind of find it's slightly hard not to do that in my personal life. So I'm always kind of second guessing when bad stuff happens and I, I have a slight delayed emotional reaction to things because my first thought is always quite objective, I guess. And yeah, I mean, I'm rambling a bit here, so this is very um, all over the place answer. But yeah, I mean, 2020, <laughs> I think for myself personally, and I'm sure lots of other people has been a pretty um, heavy year mental health wise. Um, and I don't doubt that a lot of that was down to the news. But I mean, you know, I, it happens and lots of people have had have had hard years um but yeah it, it is what it is yeah i guess uh, over the last year in particular it would have been a huge weight for you to carry around just everything that that's going on it in so much detail having to read up so much on it do you have any good kind of self-care tips for being able to take yourself away from that or for anyone who feels like they just yeah need a break from from what's going on yeah i just think you don't need to the news is all is all about we'll give you the very latest we'll keep you right up to date and i think sometimes i mean <laughs> this isn't a good advert for what i do but i think sometimes you have to be able to say you know it's okay you don't need to be completely up to date on every issue all the time you can give yourself a break you can just not watch it not listen to it for a day if that's what you want it will still be there when the news will still be there when you come back it's not going anywhere and if you miss anything you can always catch up on it if you need to because i mean there's also stuff i think out there that is in the news only because it's it's in the news if that makes sense you don't really need to know about it for your day-to-day life obviously it's good to be informed about stuff but um just because something's getting a lot of press coverage doesn't mean it's actually important to your life so just yeah remember that i think like just because it's on the front page of all the papers you you can still take a break and, and just leave it leave it where it is yeah that's great advice you spent a lot of time at local radio and you said earlier that that a lot of the stations you worked at have been either bought out or nationalised in some way. How important is local radio um, with lots of stations either having closed down or had their breakfast shows replaced with with national shows? I mean, it's sad, isn't it? Yeah, it's very sad. I mean, but then is it one of those things where um, if it's not making money, what can you do? You know, you can't keep it going for the sake of nostalgia i mean you look at local radio over the last what 30 40 years even and how it's um it's just plummeted and it's really sad because there's lots of great people who work at these places and lots of great content and obviously everyone always says you know all the everyone who's on national starts on local it's a great place to cut your teeth etc 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 so it's sad but i mean yeah if if you know bauer capital Bauer Global even you know they're companies they want to make money and if if they're going to get more listeners by nationalizing it then I mean can you really can you really blame them people are voting with their ears at the end of the day um if people loved truly local radio then they'd listen to it wouldn't they listen to it more and you know I'm I know people feel very strongly about this and I I can't stress enough you know I do think it's sad but I I also think if local radio isn't a 
profitable business for big companies to run what can you do you know you can't you can't force companies to lose money um but we I, we then we are going to end up with a very homogenous um landscape where everything is is much of a muchness these companies like their stations to have a certain sound and to be very slick because that's what the listeners want but i mean it, it makes everything very samey i think you know the playlists get shrunk because they don't want to risk people turning off because of the songs they don't like uh it becomes less of a risk-taking environment i think yeah it, it is what it is isn't it yeah i guess it makes it harder for people wanting to to get into radio it makes it more difficult for them to get a foot in the door um, without having those local stations there do you have any tips for anyone who's maybe thinking about getting into broadcasting or radio in in some way my main i meet so many people or you meet so many people who want to get into journalism but i met a woman once who said to me um oh i think i yeah i think i want to get into journalism and i said oh so you you want to tell people's stories and she was like no 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 i want to tell my story there is a danger of people just wanting to talk about their own story and their own life but i think it kind of stems from you know youtubing and twitching you know there's they're quite egocentric things but that's not journalism journalism is telling other people's stories you sometimes it it intersects with your own and you know there is some great journalism out there that's very personal to people and specific journalists have reasons for doing it and stuff but that shouldn't be your motivation for getting into the uh for getting into the industry your motivation should be to tell other people's stories well i mean my motivation was because i wanted to talk on the radio which is probably equally as a <laughs> as vacuous <laughs> as just wanting to tell my own story but um i think always remember that it's kind of it's your it's your job to to tell other people's stories and when you're pitching ideas to places you want to work at bear that in mind don't just pitch you know i've had this experience and i want to write about it because me pitch this community is having this experience and no one's talking about it because um of you know whatever um prejudices or what have you know that that that's journalism it's about other people and getting those perspectives on air i mean you know it's um i'm, I'm a white middle class man it's it's like you have to make a conscious effort to get out of your own bubble, um, especially when you're dealing with things like stories about prejudice and sexism and racism. You know, I don't experience those things, but uh, you have to try and en- engage with it. I guess it must be hard as well when it, it's so competitive to, to find good stories amongst just the mists of, of people wanting to, to share news on a daily basis. I think as long as you're just doing you, it, it's not like I'm just like the stories I've done recently. I didn't. I so I've just I've just done a. Sorry, I feel like I've, I've been dropping names in this interview. Um, <laughs> so I apologise for that. Right. I've just done an interview of Camel Fat, for example, um, who I loved. A pair of DJs from Liverpool. I just saw on their Instagram the other day that they were posted saying we're starting a record label. Drop us an email if you want us to if you want your music to be featured on it. And I was like, well, that's unusual. Record labels usually have A&R people. It's not usually, you know, two blokes with an email address. So I just said, why don't we do a story on that? And we have done. So, I mean, it's like, in that sense, if you're in your zone and in your specialism and 
kind of doing your things that I think stories kind of just fall in your lap sometimes. Um, how different was it doing the news locally to, to what you do at Newsbeat now? Very and not very <laughs> at the same time, which isn't yeah. very helpful. <laughs> um, the concept was the same. Keep it short, keep it to the point. Um, don't use cliches, all that sort of thing. But I mean, when you're when you're at the BBC, you you have such a bigger arsenal of uh, of tools to work with. You can use all stuff that's been broadcast on the BBC for the most part. You know, in your radio packages, which is just freedom you didn't have at local radio. But also the uh, the pressure is higher to get it right because you know that if you get it wrong, the Daily Mail will be writing a scathing article about you within. Um, minutes and people on Twitter will be calling for you to be sacked. Yeah, it's it's high pressure in that sense. But I mean, the the principles are the same. I miss. I often miss local radio in a way. Um, it was good fun. You never knew what you were going to find, really, with with reporting on local stories. So I bet you dropped quite a mixed bag of of stuff every week. Yeah, I was just tooting round South Yorkshire in a company car. Okay, it's been hours driving. Most of the day was spent driving to Wakefield because um, we were running a radio station based that was broadcast in Wakefield from an office in Doncaster, which is logistically tricky because Wakefield isn't actually that near to Doncaster. As well, you, you mentioned earlier about making documentaries for the iPlayer, but you you chose to go into radio over over TV. Um, I believe you had a, an experience with Blue in a beeper that, that maybe made you realise that you wanted to go into radio over doing TV stuff. It's had an experience with Blue and Ibiza, makes it again, clang, another name drop there. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I mean, no, I, yeah, I worked on a, a reality TV show about Blue and Ibiza very, uh, for a, a month or so, which was good. Yeah, it did, TV is uh, labour intensive in terms of if you're trying to capture something for the radio, you need you and a microphone and you need to be there. You know, I can, if there's a, an earthquake in Stevenage, I can get in my car now, drive to Stevenage with my microphone and that's it. I've, I've got everything I need. TV, I mean, to an extent, there's that with like phone cameras and stuff. But, you know, for the most part, there's just more faff. And I can't really be doing with the faff. I, I do like filming stuff because I think it's satisfying when it looks nice. Yeah, radio, I think, is where my where my heart is. Definitely. If you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Just be kinder. I think there's a lot of um, bravado that comes with a teenage, being a teenager, and it's all insecurity that masquerades itself as, uh, as bravado. I think just be kinder everything's going to be fine that's got nothing to do with media or radio that's just what I yeah mean. it's still still good advice <laughs> been yeah fantastic to hear about your journey to radio one will um thanks for being on the show today and where can we find out more about you yeah i'm there i mean i'm on twitter i'm on instagram give me a follow for sure there's no good content so it's it's a waste of your time but uh yeah feel free to come join me my son and beer like that's the con that's the content i'm pushing on the socials and occasionally just when i interview someone i put a picture of me giving them a thumbs up on zoom thanks will it's been great to chat today no worries
It was super to hear about Will's journey into broadcasting on today's episode of The Social Sanctuary and I've left links to Will's social media profiles in the show notes. That marks the end of another series of The Social Sanctuary and I'll be back later in the year with Series 3. I wanted to say a huge thank you to anyone who has taken the time to tune into the series and to all of my lovely guests across the series too. Samantha, Emma, Sean, Broden, Lucy and of course Will too. If you enjoyed the series, drop me a follow on Instagram at The Social Sanctuary Podcast, or you can find me on Twitter at Harvey Morton IT. And if you'd like to support the show and help to fund future series, you can donate using the link in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning into this series, and I'll see you all again very soon. Mm-hmm.